Hey Property Insiders, I'm Mike Stanhouse and this is the Inside Property Investing Podcast. Today I am talking all about the tenant fee ban that has been on the horizon for a while but it has now been confirmed as coming into effect on the 1st of June 2019. What it is and more importantly how it affects us whether we are self-managing landlords, landlords using agents or agents managing other people's properties and a few suggestions on how we can mitigate this loss in revenue for, uh, or certainly additional costs that we are gonna be facing come the 1st of June. So I hope you enjoy it, I hope you find it useful, but before we get into it, let's just take a minute to thank our sponsors. Since we started working with Harvey Bose for our own mortgages around three years ago, we've been blown away by the service that they offer, and in that time, they've continued to get better and better. They are, in my opinion, the best mortgage advisor in the UK, particularly when it comes to providing expert advice on investment finance options and how to structure deals in the best way. With a growing team, each and every applicant is assigned a specific mortgage broker and a case handler to make sure your application is dealt with efficiently. And given their team of brokers are property investors themselves, you know you'll be dealing with someone who understands your needs. Whether you're looking for a simple buy-to-let mortgage or a specialist product for your latest HMO, Harvey Bowes can help you due to their excellent relationships with many of the key lenders in the UK market. They can arrange bridging products, development finance, commercial mortgages, and even have an increasing number of specialist products for serviced accommodation and holiday-let operators. They're quick when you need it, providing same-day agreements in principle to support your offers and remortgages within six months to free up your capital for the next deal. And they have a growing expertise in helping expat and foreign nationals obtain investment finance as well. Whether you've got a finance-related query or you're ready to submit a mortgage application, I can highly recommend the team at Harvey Bowes. Get in touch via harveybose.com or call them on 02921 754150. And remember to tell them you heard about them on the podcast. Okay, I'm not going to try and pretend that the tenant fee ban is the most exciting of subjects, but I do think it is really important that we all understand it because at the end of the day, for any of us who are involved with renting our properties, it is going to have some sort of impact on us, whether we are self-managing landlords or we are landlords that use the services of a letting agent or for all of you listening who I know run your own letting agent or some sort of property management service on behalf of other people. Basically, the the tenant fee ban, I mean, it's been in discussion since around about 2016, I think, and they're looking to bring something similar into Wales. There's already something similar in Scotland, but specifically today I am talking about the tenant fee ban that is coming into effect in England. And it has been announced now, it's been confirmed that this will come into effect on the 1st of June 2019. That was confirmed uh, two days ago from recording this on the Tuesday the 15th of January 2019. So we've got you know five or six months to prepare for it. But in a nutshell, this tenant fee ban, it bans landlords or agents. So both parties are impacted there. Neither landlords nor agents can charge fees to someone in relation to a tenancy and there are a small number of exceptions there but before I go on to discuss those exceptions I explicitly said charging fees to someone in relation to a tenancy rather than charging fees to a tenant in relation to a tenancy or a prospective tenant. The original wording I think said tenant so we couldn't charge fees to a tenant in relation to a tenancy. It has been amended to say that you cannot charge fees to anyone in relation to a tenancy because I think there was concern that there would be a loophole there where you could maybe charge a guarantor on behalf of a tenant and that would sort of fly under the radar or you could charge you know, a parent or 
uh, you know, whatever. That basically, they have made the wording explicitly clear that no one related to the tenant or the tenant themselves can be charged in relation to a tenancy except for these small number of exceptions. Now, all of the wording, all of the different requirements and criteria and specific details are outlined in the bill. Now, the bill is a long document. I, I will share a link to it in the show notes page. Um, it's the official title uh, is the tenant fees bill. Um, so I'll post a link to that. It's probably, you know, 35, 40 pages long. Um, so I'm not going to read through it all here. But what I want to do is just cover off the main points, which should for most of us give us enough of an idea of what is changing and how it impacts us. If you are feeling like this is going to have a major impact on you, if you're running a big letting agency, or you want to know if there's anything that you can do to try and mitigate this, then by all means, go and check out the bill. But hopefully, like I say, what I covered today will give you enough of a grounding to understand and discuss this with your team and your accountants and whoever else you think might be uh, you know, involved in how you deal with this. So the exceptions to the bill are the things that we can still charge for. I'm going to run through the main ones. The first one is rent, which is, you know, good to know. Nice, uh, obvious one to start with. But, you know, as it stands, come the 1st of June, we will still be allowed to charge rent. Who knows, they may introduce something in future where we can no longer charge our tenants rent. But for the time being, we will still be able to charge rent, which I guess will take as good news. Uh, we can also still charge for deposits. Uh, so both security and holding deposits. Now, just briefly, the difference between them, a security deposit is typically held for the duration of a tenancy and needs to be protected. And that would be for covering your costs in case of rent arrears or damage to the property, that sort of thing. Um, we can still charge uh, a security deposit. We can also charge a holding deposit. The holding deposit is going to be limited to one week's rent though. So in the past, you may have done a viewing. Someone said that they wanted to take the house off you and you would take, you know, maybe the first month's rent as a holding deposit or another amount that you felt was fair just to show that they had skin in the game. Um, you can still do this. It will be limited to one week's rent though, which is relatively easy to calculate based on your own property rent per month or however you calculate it. Um, but this, there, there's also a lot of criteria in the bill that explains how long you can keep this for, under what circumstances you can withhold it, should the tenant fail to complete with the tenancy, uh, or when you need to return it, and if you do need to return it, how quickly you need to return it. So um, you maybe haven't looked at holding deposits in the past. I personally take them on, on all of our units, and I do think it is a good way just to get make sure that the person is serious. Um, but you are, if you do take holding deposits or you think you're going to start taking holding deposits, just make sure that you're going about it in the right way. Uh, you can also charge for rent arrears. So if your tenant is overdue in their rent by 14 days on the 15th day, you can start charging them interest on the overdue amount. This is capped a 3% above the Bank of England base rate. So if the Bank of England base rate is at 1%, you can be charging them the equivalent of 4% and it would be worked out on a day-by-day -day basis depending on how many days overdue they are. Um, it's maybe not something you do at the moment. It might not be something that you look to do in future, but it's certainly a consideration uh, you know, as a way to try and recover some of the losses that you will be feeling as a result of not being able to charge your referencing fees anymore. Um, so, you know, whether you want to do it or not, it's probably something that's worth including in your tenancy agreements going forward so that should the worst come to the worst and you do have late rents, at least you can legally be charging, uh, you know, a, a sort of interest rate on any overdue amounts. 
so making it explicit in your tenancy agreement that it's 3% above the Bank of England base rate after you know 14 days would be worthwhile doing. Uh, you don't need to enforce it if you don't want to, if you feel like you've got a good relationship with the tenant and there's some you know, mitigating circumstances to why the rent's late, you don't need to enforce it, but just having it there gives you a little bit of extra protection and might be a way, like I say, to offset some of the lost costs from your upfront referencing. Uh, you can also charge for variations to the tenancy agreement and for ending the tenancy early. So for instance, uh, if someone did want to get out of their tenancy early, there are charges that you can uh, employ there, I suppose. Uh, you can also, if someone wanted to leave early and had said, you know, oh, my friend's going to move in, so you need to draft a new tenancy agreement, you can charge for that. Now, it's kind of capped. It says that it's either £50 limit for a variation to a tenancy agreement or reasonable costs. You need to be able to prove why it is more than £50. And if you cannot prove why you've charged more than £50, then that would be deemed an unfair charge and you could be prosecuted. So uh, it's worth, again, you know, having to read through that. But again, get it in your tenancy agreement, whether you want to use it or not. It is worth having that there as a fallback should someone start taking the mic and, you know, looking to change their the details of their tenancy agreement. You can at least offset your admin costs there by £50. Um, and you can also charge for anything related to bills that you pay on the tenant's behalf. So things like, particularly, I think this is of, of relevance to HMO landlords typically, things like council tax, utility bills, TV licenses, and so on. Um, so you can continue to pay for all of those things and charge it on top of the rent. That is perfectly allowable. But again, obviously, you want to make it clear to your tenants what those charges would be. So basically what it does remove is any form of payment from the tenant or anyone related to the payment for the setup costs of the tenancy for all of your referencing, carrying out inventories, uh, you know, credit checks, right to rent checks, all that sort of stuff you can no longer charge for. When this was first raised, there were discussions around whether or not they would cap it so that you could charge up to a certain amount. But just to be very clear, you cannot charge anything for any of these upfront costs. So, uh, you know, if, even if you're only charging £20 to cover your referencing, that will be uh, a, a, that will be banned as of the 1st of June. So uh, that, that, you know, you cannot charge a penny to them for any of those setup fees. Just keep that in mind. Now, I don't want to get too much into the discussion around whether or not this is fair or unfair. It is what it is. And you know, certainly from the 1st of June, we just have to, to deal with it and adjust our businesses if it's going to have a knock-on for us. And it's obviously going to affect letting agents more than it will affect independent landlords. But, you know, for both of us, we still have those costs to cover. In my opinion, you know, I always thought it was pretty clear. I thought that the landlords should pay for what they wanted, which was marketing the property and the viewings and all the overheads associated with finding tenants. So portals and getting boards up outside the property, uh, you know, your time or the agent's time to go out and actually conduct the viewings and all that sort of stuff. As a landlord, we want to market the property. The tenants, they want to rent the property. So, you know, for things like referencing, ID checks, right to rent checks, credit scoring, guarantor checks, that is, you know, I, I felt like it was pretty fair that that should fall on their shoulders. They wanted to, to rent the property. They need to prove that they can do that. And, you know, I guess that's why I thought a cap was probably more fair because there was definitely a lot of, uh, you know, excessive 
charges that were being implemented and it, you know having to pay 400 pounds i think the average was calculated at it's a lot of money and i do think that was unfair but there are definitely costs associated with the tenants actions and i i also felt like a cap was going to be the better way to do it i guess you know for me if i choose to go on holiday you know i've i've obviously got to pay for transport and accommodation as your, your tenant would have to pay for rent but i've also got to pay for the passport that proves that I am who I say I am and I'm eligible to fly and all of that sort of stuff. If I choose to drive, obviously I pay for my car and my fuel, but then I also need to pay for my driving license. So, you know, I guess whether it was a cap or maybe a standard referencing service like you've got for credit scoring, I think that there was a better solution to be implemented than what has been just an outright ban on a way of us covering our costs. But you know, ultimately, it feels like another whack at us landlords and agents to work for free effectively to try and fix a broken housing market. So, um, yeah, I'm not overly thrilled with this, but like I say, it is what it is. And at times, we just need to accept these things and figure out the best way to deal with it. In terms of the impact that it is going to have on us, I guess it depends on a couple of things. One, which side of the fence we fall on, whether I guess there's there's three sides to this fence, whether you're a self-managing landlord, a landlord using an agent services or you're a letting agent. I presume if you're a letting agent, you've been a lot more aware of this and start to put plans in place to mitigate it. But it has been, there's been some interesting stats released around this. There was a survey done by Arla, I think it was the Association of Residential Letting Agents with all of their members. They estimate that the revenue generated by referencing fees that are going to be you know, outlawed as a result of this ban, it's going to be about a 20% reduction in their revenue. And you know that's obviously going to have a knock-on impact on their profit. They estimate around 1,000 agents will close. Now, actually, I don't know how many agents there are in the UK, but 1,000 sounds like a pretty big number as a direct result of this tenant fee ban. They just won't have the the uh you know the profitability to to continue to offer the services that they do with the lost revenue from reference fees from tenants uh 87% of all agents surveyed think that as a result of this rents will increase so although this was implemented to try and reduce costs for tenants it may be the case that they still end up paying the same amount, but those reference costs are just split over the duration of a tenancy. And, you know, particularly for people who are in longer tenancies, you know, let's say it, 200 pounds is divided by a 20 month tenancy. I'm just keeping the number simple here. That's going to increase rents by 10 pounds a month. If you end up living there for four years, you'll be paying double. Or if you live, you know, 40 months, you'll be paying double than you would have done just paying the reference fees up front. Um, so yeah, it's estimated, obviously time will tell, but it's estimated that rents will increase as a result of this to try and offset some of those losses. Uh, and almost two thirds of agents say that they will pass on some of the costs to landlords. So as well as rents going up, your management fee is probably going to go up as well, or there will be other charges, whether it's an increase in the management fee directly, or they start breaking these things down and saying, well, your management fee is going to stay at 10% or 12% or whatever you pay. But in addition to that, we've lost out on a £200 fee from the tenant, so you're going to have to pay an extra £200 setup fee every time we put a new tenant in place. Something like that could very well happen. So we've got these increased management fees from agents that as landlords we're going to have to suck up. We've got agents closing most likely, which means that you know there's going to be less competition. The agents that do thrive will typically be the ones that have got deeper pockets. Now, there's an argument could be made both ways there. One, we might get tenants who are running a tighter ship and have got better service, and the ones that 
aren't really capable of running a business will be the ones that disappear. That might be a good thing and actually might professionalize the industry. But equally, if you've got the big boys like Foxton's are the ones that are surviving who have you know employed some pretty unscrupulous tactics in the past anyway, it may well be a case that things get even worse and it's as landlords that get hammered. So maybe as a result of that, more landlords will end up self-managing, which could have the opposite effect and we will become less professional because landlording, running a, a you know, a, a, all the processes that the letting agents do, it's not a simple task. They, they offer, you know, a lot of people think it's sticking a board up in the garden doing a few viewings and jobs done. There's a, a wealth of sort of legal compliance regulation things that we need to contend with. Um, I think someone counted up the number of pieces of legislation that impact renting property and it, you know, something over 200, it was certainly a massive number. So if that is all then put onto the shoulders of self-managing landlords because you can no longer afford to pay an agent, then you've got to ask yourself, are all of these people going to be aware of all the regulations and so on and so forth and be able to provide the service in the same way that an agency could? And, you know, I don't think the answer to that will be yes in all cases. So that's a potential downside. Um, and then, as I said as well, you've possibly got additional charges that you'll be facing. So as well as increased management fees, you could well have additional one-off charges every time that your tenants move or uh, you know, decide that they want to move someone else in, whatever else. So our, our costs more than likely will be going up uh, and probably won't be offset entirely by any increases in rent that this might see. So probably we will be worse off as a result of this. Uh, if you're self-managing, obviously you've got a loss of that direct revenue. If you, you know, we we I thought we charged quite reasonable fees, which again was a reason that I thought a cap would be good because it wouldn't really impact us. Um, but it was still nice. We had you know a ten-bedroom HMO. Even if we're charging fifty quid, that's five hundred pounds towards all of our time and effort that goes into getting all of that referencing done, and it's a big cost that will be on our shoulders that currently was offset by by the tenants paying for that so you know if you are self-managing you've got to factor that into your figures um particularly if you've got a deal analysis spreadsheet it's maybe worth adjusting that because you will then have those costs rather than handing them off to the tenant just to make sure that the deals still stack up with those additional costs uh and you know it could directly affect you if you are in breach of any of these or any of the the directions within the bill uh in by way of a five thousand pound fine if you're in breach of the ban. Um, and it also means that if you're in breach of the bill, you can't issue a section 21 notice. So in the same way that if your deposits aren't protected, you can no longer issue a section 21 notice. If you have charged any fees that are deemed to be unfair, you cannot issue a section 21 notice, which means it's going to be very difficult to evict your tenants, even if they stop paying their rent. So uh, yeah, you need to be very careful and make sure that you are going about the new changes. You're, you're handling them in the right way. Finally, I think the only thing to discuss around this tenant fee ban is any ways that as landlords we can try to mitigate this. And, you know, I don't have any silver bullets here. I think in most cases it is going to be a case of suck it up, accept the loss in revenue, accept some of the higher fees that your agents are going to charge. And, you know, it's just going to be the way that business is conducted from now on. But there are a few things that we can maybe look to do to try and mitigate this if it has been a big revenue driver for you in the past. The obvious one, I've mentioned this already, you could look at increasing your rents. And I think for us, it's going to be a case of wait and see. Um, it will be interesting come 1st of June to see what the big corporate agents do if they employ a small 
rent increase across the board to try, try and offset this or if things just creep up gradually. We'll obviously monitor it, but you know, ultimately it's quite a competitive environment we operate in. Uh, we like to offer a high value product, but we also like to be competitive in our pricing. So if other people's prices don't rise, it's going to be very difficult for us to, but we will monitor it. And you know, if other people's prices do rise, we will, you know, we're, we're typically keeping all of our houses full. So, you know, I think we could, uh, we could continue to, to keep our price rises in rate with whatever everyone else is doing, uh, and not suffer massively from it. Um, there are also additional services that, that you can look to sell. Uh, so, you know, this is maybe more relevant to large portfolio landlords where you've got economies of scale or specifically agents as well. Uh, but things like cleaning services, you know, you could put offer to send your cleaners in and, uh, you know, make a small markup on what you charge for them. You could pull together some discount packages with local businesses, like a sort of membership scheme type thing for your, your housemates. Uh, you could look at, you know, insurance policies or getting referrals for um, utilities. Uh, what's the utility company that offers, you know, you sort of, you sign someone up and you get a utility warehouse. So you sign someone up uh, and then they, as, as long as they remain a customer, you get a, a cut of everything that they're charged so there, there are ways that you know we could look to rather than just be landlords be more service providers and enhance the services that we offer and have things that we can make more of a margin on uh, i think the most important one for us is going to be focusing on tenant retention and i haven't really seen this being talked about a huge amount it's all pretty much been doom and gloom and oh bloody hell every time a tenant leaves i'm going to get hammered for the referencing but what if we turned it on its head and said well how about we try to offer a nicer environment, better service, keep our tenants happy and make them feel at home so that they don't want to leave. If you've got lower tenant retention, you've got lower costs for referencing. So the ban doesn't affect you. So, or certainly doesn't affect you as often. I think that is going to be a massive driver for us. How can we ensure that, you know, in our HMOs, our average tenancy is in sort of nine to 12 months. How can we push that up to 18 months? In single lets, it's maybe two and a half to three years. How can we get people happy in their homes so that they're there for five years or 10 years? And actually, you know, any bands really, you know, when you look at a lost revenue of 50 quid over the course of five years, it's a lot different from losing out on that every nine months. So tenant retention is going to be something that, that we are focusing on. And I think it'd be, be great to see more people taking a, a proactive and a positive approach to this as well. Uh, and then I think the final thing as well is just making sure that you are charging for what you're still allowed to charge for. So, yeah, you know, I mentioned at the start things like charges for rent arrears and charges for variations to the tenancy agreements. Whether you agree with them or not, whether you have charged for them in the past or not, I would make sure that they are in all of your tenancy agreements going forwards so that come the 1st of June, if you do start to feel the pinch as a result of this, you have got a couple of options that you can fall back on should someone want to change the tenancy agreement, leave early, or if they fall into arrears, you can start to offset some of the losses from the tenant fee ban by some of these other charges that you are actually still allowed to do. But like I say, make sure they're in your tenancy agreement and then you've got the option to implement them or not, depending on the exact circumstances that you're facing. So a few ways that we can we can try to offset it. But like I say, you know, we could take a positive approach here and just try to offset it completely by keeping our tenants in place a lot longer. So we have asked for uh, some feedback on what we want to or what you want to see in these Thursday sessions. And uh, I'm, you know, massively appreciative as always to everyone who takes the time to respond to us 
a lot of similar subjects came up in the suggestions, things like joint venture agreements, setting up limited companies, uh, finance for different property types and getting started in property investing. I've covered a bit of the getting started stuff in the past episode and the one before that. Uh, we are speaking with Simon Mishevich on a week on Monday, so getting towards the end of January. We have got a session with him talking all about limited companies, when they're appropriate to you, uh, how you can go about setting them up, some of the considerations that you need to be aware of when you are setting them up. It's a complicated beast and actually I was very surprised by Simon's responses to a lot of our questions. I thought he would say, yeah, limited company, limited company, limited company. That is not the case. So if you're on the fence about whether or not you should set them up, if they're the right thing for you at the stage that you're at or for what your future ambitions are from a property point of view, make sure you check out that episode. Um, Something else that was asked a lot about was managing your own portfolio. This is a stab at helping you understand some of the different requirements and we will cover more of the legislation and requirements around self-managing landlords and how they affect you over the coming months as well. If you've got any other suggestions, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or Instagram, even LinkedIn on the rare occasion that I'm over there. And if you want to discuss this tenant fee ban or anything else in more detail and you are a member of the IPI community, then I'll be posting some links to a few bits and pieces over there as well. So you can jump on there, have a discussion, ask any questions, find out what other people are doing to try and mitigate it and deal with it. Be great to see you there. Be great to see a good engaging discussion around that. Um, and that's it for today. So we are back on Monday with an interview with... I should have a drum roll here because my memory is failing me and uh, it would be nice to sort of fill the silence with something a little bit more relevant than me just droning on, uh, but I'm failing to do that. So I will just head over to Asana where we have got our content calendar and tell you that on Monday, oh, this is going to be a goodie, Paul Higgs. So Paul Higgs is a land sourcer developer, a land sourcer is an insult to him, but he sources land and then gets planning gain on it and typically then uh, builds it out or sells it on. We had him back on the podcast episode 16. If you want to go back and revisit his origin story before his podcast on Monday, he's back talking about why he thinks more developers than ever, or certainly since 2008, are going to go bust in 2019, but also why he thinks that there are some fantastic opportunities for people doing things in the right way this year. So if you're interested in land sourcing and acquisition, in planning gain and development projects, make sure you check that one out. I think from his introduction back, I'm trying to remember back to 2016 or so when we interviewed him the first time, uh, he'd been involved in something like 3,000, the delivery of 3,000 units. So an absolute abundance of knowledge. I had a great time chatting to him. Uh, so yeah, check that out on Monday. We'll be back next Thursday with another update on some piece of regulation or interesting topic on the property world generally. But until then, have a great time and I will speak to you soon. <laughs>